0: Welcome back, Missio family. Today, you'll hear Pastor Josh talk about how God's heart is for all people to repent and live in relationship with Him. If you have any questions about Missio, you'd like to join a missional community, or you have any prayer requests, please contact us at missio.life.
1: Well, hey, good morning, and welcome. If we haven't met, my name is Josh, and I just want to say we're glad that you're here. Um, And many of you were with us last week. We had a birthday party. Were you here for the birthday party? Yeah, it was awesome. We were able to celebrate some amazing things that God has done. And my son came over this morning. He said, Dad, there's still a balloon up in the rafters. And so uh, I thought I got them all down. Evidently, there's still a few. So if something comes dropping during the service, don't be alarmed. It's just a balloon coming down from the, the ceiling. So you've probably heard of... Sin City, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? If I say Sin City, it's Las Vegas, Nevada, right? We probably know that. And there's a saying, finish it for me. What happens in Vegas? Right? We know that. And that's, Vegas has a reputation as being the, the capital of sin, the Sin City. And and I know that uh, people go there just to kind of experience the nightlife, whatever, and I'm sure many of you have been to Vegas. I've been to Vegas. I'm not saying don't go to Vegas. Maybe don't do everything that's in Vegas. Um, but did you know there's actually a city in the Bible that was more evil than Vegas, more sinful? And it's the ancient city of Nineveh, and it was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And so the Assyrians, we've, we've been in this study in the book of Jonah, and we've been learning about... Them and about Jonah. And so the Assyrians, just to give you a little backstory of how bad these people were, they would go around, they were violent. They would go from city to city and they would, uh, and so this is a little bit graphic, I'm sorry, but they would rape the women, kill the children, and the men they would skin alive. And then they would bury them up to their neck, pull out their tongue, and stake it to the ground. I mean, how horrible of a person do you have to be to do that to somebody? Then they would chop all the heads off and stack them up. And that was their mark of like, we were here, we conquered this city. And so that's who the Assyrians were. And Nineveh was the capital of their nation. And so we've been in the book of Jonah studying about this story. Jonah was told to go to the Ninevites and to preach repentance to them. Now, by the way, Jonah's people, the Israelites, were the recipients of this behavior of the Assyrians. They came and and conquered many of their towns. And so we've been in the book of Jonah. I want to recap just a little in case you haven't been with us. So Jonah 1.1 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, and said, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. So I want you to imagine, put yourself in the place of Jonah. Your family and friends have been mistreated, killed, like it's horrible stuff. And then God tells you to go and be a messenger of rescue to them. Anybody want to sign up for that? No, we we can probably relate to Jonah a little bit and say no. They deserve what they got coming to them. They're evil. They're evil people. They're a sinful city. And so maybe we can relate a little bit to Jonah and maybe there's some people in our lives who we don't think deserve love. We don't think they deserve God's mercy, and that's where Jonah was. And so Jonah was not exactly fond of the idea of this assignment that God gave him to get up, go to Nineveh, and preach repentance. And so again, recapping the story, Jonah says, okay, I'm going to pass on that God. I'm going to go get on a boat, and I'm going to sail to Tarshish, which was 2,500 miles in the wrong direction. Jonah's downstairs sleeping on the boat. God whips up a storm, and it's like the storm comes out of nowhere, and the crew's going, what is this? This storm is unusual. And so they knew something was off. They started casting lots, figured out it was Jonah's fault, and they said, bring him up, get him up here on deck. So they bring up Jonah, and they said, what have you done? Jonah says, I've disobeyed my God, and by the way, he's the one true God, and I've disobeyed him, and... We're all going to die unless you throw me overboard. So just, I'd rather die than go to Nineveh. So just toss me overboard. I'm done. I'm out. It's been a good run, but just chuck me overboard. So that's what they did. The crew's like, well, we don't know if we should kill this guy. You know, his blood will be on our hands, but God, sorry. And they just threw him overboard, right? And so we, we saw how Jonah plunged to his death, or so we thought. God Orchestrated a huge fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah spent three days in the belly of that beast. God got his attention, and Jonah had a change of heart. He said, God, rescue me. He cried out to God, and God caused the fish to vomit him up on the dry land. So that's where we're at. That's that's the backstory to where we're at today. We're in Jonah chapter 3. So if you have a Bible and you want to get there, you can follow along. Otherwise, we have it on the screen. But I just want you to understand where we are in the story, and Jonah chapter 3, we'll read this together. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they, re, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And so, I'm just going to go on a, on a limb here and say that I don't think Jonah was a good prophet. I don't think he was good at what he did. I don't think Jonah got prophet of the month. I don't think he had the little plaque hanging on the wall. Because we saw in the first chapter of Jonah, he was the disobedient messenger. God said, Go over to Nineveh. "Mm, Nope, I'm going to go over here. He was disobedient. Now we see he's the reluctant messenger. How do we know this? Well, if you read ahead in chapter four, you know what happens. There's some heart stuff still going on in Jonah. But we also see, I don't want to jump ahead too far here, but we're going to see that he doesn't, he kind of goes into this half hearted. He says, I'm going to walk about a third of the way across the city and then just give a really short message. So he's there. He's agreed to go. Let's just back up. So he's standing on the shore. He says, God, I'm going to go. He's got about 500 miles to travel to get from where he's at to Nineveh. And back in that day, they couldn't just Uber a ride or you know hop on a train or a bus. It was camel or donkey. And so that would take him about a month to get from where he was You know, post-vomit on the seashore, probably got a little cleaned up, a little fishy smell still, but to travel to Nineveh would take him about a month. If he went by foot, it was even longer. And so he had some time to think. He had some time to maybe backslide a little bit, you know, like, oh God, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm all in on this, but then now I got to travel all the way to Nineveh, and he's remembering all the things the Ninevites have done to their people. And so he gets to the the people, and he's about half-hearted. He's he's kind of half-hearted into it. And so we talked about earlier in our series how God is a God of second chances. And Jonah didn't really deserve a second chance. Probably should have just, you know, God could have just let him drown, just throw him overboard. See you, Jonah. Next prophet up. Probably had somebody who was a little more invested, a little more committed to the mission. But God didn't do that. He still used Jonah. And so the passage says that Nineveh was a great city and it would take three days to walk across it. Like I said, Jonah went one day in and he's probably thinking, these people, I can't stand these people. This is far enough, God. And so then he says, 40 days, you'll be overthrown. That's all I got. Mic drop, you know, he's out. He doesn't give like this, you know, eloquent speech. He doesn't talk about God's mercy and God's grace. And, you know, he just says, hey, 40 days and you guys are done. And I think he kind of liked it, you know? He probably was pretty, just kind of happy to deliver that message of judgment. And I think what's interesting about this is that we can see that Jonah's the reluctant messenger. He's half-hearted. He's just kind of doing the bare minimum. But what I love about this story is that God is still forming Jonah's heart, forming his faith while he's on mission. So Jonah is obedient he goes and he does what he's supposed to do, but God is still working on him. See, Jonah is God's mission while he's on God's mission. Isn't that cool? That God's like, okay, Jonah, you don't have to be perfect. I'm going to use you as flawed as you are and as half-hearted as you are in this mission. I'm going I'm to turn a whole city to myself. See, God doesn't wait for us to arrive spiritually before sending us on mission. He says, I'm going to use you as you are. You're all works in progress. I'm a work in progress. You're a work in progress. But God says, you have a place as my messenger. See, I've heard many people talk about mission trips. Raise your hand if you've ever been on a mission trip. You've been on a mission trip? Yeah, a lot of you have. So you, you probably know what I'm about to say, but you hear these reports. People come back from a mission trip, and they'll do like a special service or like story time, And often what you hear about mission trips is that people say, man, we went on that trip to build a house or to do a VBS or to do some medical missions, and I didn't expect what would happen. God did a huge work in my own heart, and the person that went on the mission trip to be a blessing gets blessed, and God just really changes them, gives them compassion and love for other people. And so it, there's always benefit, right, to going and living on mission and, and being a missionary, but often the person who goes on the mission trip comes back and they're blown away. And I think it just illustrates that God is working on us as we're on mission. He was doing that with Jonah. He was, he was forming his heart, and, and God is doing the same for us. So I want to pause here for a couple of questions, and if you're new to us, this, don't be weirded out by this, we just sometimes talk about things. It helps us process And hear from you. And so the first question, what kind of things do we believe disqualify us from being God's messengers? Anybody ever felt disqualified from being a messenger for God? And what were those things? Not knowing all the answers. Oh, not knowing all the answers. You skipped Bible trivia night. Right? Yeah, we can feel like we don't have all the answers and we need to know everything about the Bible or everything about God. We can talk ourselves out of being on mission with God, right? What else? Say that. Fear of being a hypocrite. hypocrite. What's a hypocrite? Uh, Uh, No, I was asking you. (laughs) So we don't want to be a hypocrite. We don't want to preach one thing and then act a different way, right? So we can feel disqualified. How might God expose what's in our heart while living on mission? How does God expose things in our hearts on mission? By squeezing us. By squeezing us. What do you mean by that? When you're squeezed, what's in you comes out of here. When you're kind of like a toothpaste tube, right? When you're squeezed... You see what's inside, it comes out. And so maybe there's some stuff in our hearts that isn't quite right, but when we're put into that pressure of that situation, we have to deal with what's inside, right? I think that's exactly right. And so Jonah was a reluctant messenger who God used. But Jonah gives this message, right? He says, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Again, no mention of God's heart, his grace, But the Holy Spirit did the work. The Holy Spirit used Jonah's crummy message, his crummy little sermon, and he he multiplied it and he saved a city. So we see the repentant city. I want to read this again. This is a few verses here, starting in verse five. And the people of Nineveh believed God. We're going to come back to that phrase in a moment. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. And then he says at the end, who knows, maybe God will turn and relent from his fierce anger. And so we read about fasting. What is fasting? Well, if you've ever had surgery, you know what fasting is. It's a bummer, right? You can't eat or anything. You can't drink anything. And they want you to have an empty stomach. And I don't know, maybe Bruce could tell us why that is. But um, he's a surgeon. But anyway, so we fast for medical reasons. Sometimes people fast to lose weight, right? So there's, there's benefits of not eating. But there's also spiritual reasons why people fast. We fast because it's a way of saying, I'm not going to eat or drink or whatever we're putting aside. We're saying, God, I'm just completely focused on you. I am desperate for you. That's what fasting is. And then we talk about sackcloth and ashes. And I don't know about you. I've not really done the whole sackcloth and ash thing, but a bit of a cultural thing for the Hebrews. That was part of their culture. They would take off their normal garments and put on sackcloth. Think of like a a burlap sack. They would wrap themselves up in this scratchy, uncomfortable garment and take ash, you know, from a fire and put it all over their skin. They would look like a, like a corpse. And it was really a, a sign of grief or mourning or, or even just crying out to God in humility saying, I'm undone before you, God. And so when we see fasting, sackcloth and ashes, these are the results of what's happening in the hearts of the people in Nineveh. They're saying, Man, we're in a bad spot here. We need, we need God. And so I want to go back to that verse that I mentioned before. Verse five, and the people of Nineveh believed God. This is important because all of that behavior with the sackcloth and ashes and the fasting was a result of them believing God. It, didn't, it doesn't say they believed Jonah. Sorry, Jonah, it's not about you, but it's about God. And they're saying whoa, this God of Israel, he's the real God and he has the power to destroy us and he's not happy with us. We need to repent and turn from our sinful ways and so in a last ditch effort, they say, let's, just, let's all just fast and, and put on sackcloth and maybe God will relent. Maybe he will stop his punishment. And so repentance isn't just about feeling bad about sin. And, and we, we do feel bad when we sin. We feel guilt, right? That's, that's, we feel conviction from the Holy Spirit. But true repentance, biblical repentance, isn't just about feeling bad. Because maybe you've done that before. You've done something wrong. Oh, I feel really bad about that. I'm just gonna try harder next time to not do that. Anybody relate to that? I'm not very good at that. It doesn't work for me. Maybe it works for you. But biblical repentance is not just about feeling bad, It's about belief followed by behavior. And we see that illustrated from from the people of Nineveh. So the Holy Spirit convicted their hearts. They knew God by the work of the Holy Spirit and then they responded with what we read about. So the the pattern of repentance is so clear. Again, it's not just feeling bad about sin but it's actually changing what we believe to be true about God. See, when I was younger as a parent, I did this with my kids, and I wish wish I would have realized it back then, but maybe you can relate to this. Like, one of my kids is hitting the other one. One brother's hitting the other brother. And we say, stop, stop, stop. You can't do that. We we don't hit our brothers. Why don't you go spend some time in your room, and then you can come out later. So what have we just done? We have changed the behavior. We're telling them we're going to modify this behavior But we're not addressing the real reason why he was hitting his brother in the first place, which is that he didn't trust mom and dad to take care of the situation, right? Mom and dad are there to protect him. Mom and dad are there to make sure that there are rules in the house and it's not just chaos. But he didn't trust in mom and dad, so then he takes matters into his own hands. So you can't just address the behavior. You have to go back to what are they believing or not believing that's fueling the behavior. And so we do the same thing with God, don't we? God says, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. And then we, if we don't believe him, we take matters into our own hands. We say, well, I'm going to defend myself or I'm going to provide for myself, right? I, I, I don't trust God to provide for me, so I'm going to steal a little something over here. I'm going to provide for my own needs. See, true repentance deals not only with the behavior, but with the belief behind the behavior. Sometimes we use what's called the Kairos circle, and I think we have a slide for this, do we? I wanna show you this, maybe help to illustrate it a little bit. And so the Kairos moment, it's a word for time. It's like chronos, but Kairos, it's a moment, something that catches your attention. And so you observe, what is it? And so let's just say I had rage. I had some rage toward um, my wife. We're not really raging right now, we're good. But just as an example, All right, and so I would observe, I'm a rage monster right now. Why am I that way? And so I'm gonna go around the repent way. We're gonna go to the right. Who is God? What is he like? Well, God is kind. He's patient. How do we know this? How do we know this is true? Well, in scripture, God has shown it over and over again. He's kind and he's patient. He's been kind and patient with me. Jesus paid my sin debt in full so that I don't have to be punished for what I've done wrong. Then you go down to what is now true of you. I'm totally forgiven. I, am, I have grace. God has, God has loved me. So he's shown his kindness to me. And then you go over to the belief side. How do you get to live? I get to live free. I don't have to lash out at my wife, right? I don't have to get even. And accountability is putting it into action. And maybe we talk, tell some people about that. And so you see how It's not just feeling bad about sin, it's actually fixing wrong thinking, believing better of what's true about God and about me, and it actually has legs, right? And so I think this is important for us to understand, and so I want to pause here for just a couple more questions of discussion, then we'll move on. So the first one is, do you think behavior modification brings lasting change? Why or why not? Do you think behavior modification brings lasting change? Who said yes? How, how so?
0: If I can change my behaviors, it can make me a more trustworthy person
1: and then make me more So if you can change your behaviors, it makes you a more trustworthy person. People can rely on you more. So is it easy to change our behavior just by willpower? What needs to change for a real, lasting change?
0: Uh, I think that, often I think that if I change my behavior, then I'll be closer to God. And that will bring the change. In reality, what I've experienced is, is if I seek God, God's love and um, the his, um, being in the conscious contact with God, that leads me to
1: better behavior. Yeah, that's exactly right. I don't know if you guys could hear what she said, but she said, sometimes we think that if we just behave better, we'll be closer to God, but it's actually the flip side. It's actually when we draw near to God, he reveals his heart to us, and then the behavior follows, and that's, that's exactly the point that we're trying to get at, is that it, it's, it's not just behavior modification, it's faith lived out, right? It's, it's believing in repentance. So the second question is, can you think of a sinful behavior that is shaped by a wrong belief? And this doesn't have to be confession time. <laughs> it could just be any sin. Like, this doesn't necessarily mean I'm struggling with this. Um, can you think of a sinful behavior that is shaped by wrong thinking or a wrong belief? Just give me an example if you can think of one. Say that louder. Gossip. gossip? Yeah. Okay, and what is, the, what is the wrong belief behind gossip? That you're good, you make other people... That you're good if you make other people look bad. Hmm, interesting. You ever thought about that? that? Maybe that's what's behind gossip? Yeah, it's easy to just focus on, well, I shouldn't gossip, but why am I gossiping in the first place, right? That's the question we need to ask. How about anyone, anyone else, another one? God's name in vain. Taking God's name in vain. Okay, so what's the belief behind that? Wrong belief. <laughs> my right? Could be pride, right? Could be a sense of I'm I'm above God, lack of respect, right? Anxiety, worry, worry, yeah. Could be a lot of things. Yep. Mm -hmm. So the Ninevites repented. They did. They heard Jonah's message, as crummy as it was, and they responded to the work of the Holy Spirit, and they went to fasting sackcloth, and ashes. And so these outward signs that they were doing was a result of their newfound faith in God. They understood the one true God. And so God had seen the sins of Nineveh. They were evil. Remember what I talked about at the beginning? I'm not going to repeat all that, but you know what they did. They deserved punishment, didn't they? God could have just wiped them out and he would have been totally justified in doing that. But God is a God of mercy. And so mercy means that I'm not going to give you what your sins deserve. You deserve death, you deserve punishment, I'm going to withhold that from you. That's what mercy is. Look at verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He said He would do to them, and He did not do it. So God is a God of mercy. He's also a God who is just. We know what justice is, right? If... If one of my family members gets murdered, if somebody comes up and shoots one of my family members on the street and they're dead, we're going to court and that person's going to pay, right? There's justice. There are laws. And if you break the laws, there's, there's consequences. Well, God has laws. And if God's laws are broken, there are consequences. God is just. He can't just ignore sin. It's a real problem. But mercy means that we don't actually get the punishment for what we deserve. And God is a merciful God. And so God could have wiped out Nineveh, totally just in doing that, but he chose not to. So, as we were going, as I was studying this passage and I I looked at it, um, it reveals God's heart of redemption, reconciliation for his creation. But I couldn't help but just go down a bit of a theological rabbit hole here, like did God change his mind? Anybody else like read that and kind of get the wheels turning a little bit? And so I was just studying this and I was like, did God change his mind? Does prayer change God's mind? And all this stuff. And, um, and really this is where it comes down to. It was humans who changed their course, not God. Humans are the one who changed their course. God said, there's a, there's a pathway here, in Nineveh, you're on it. And if you don't change, you're gonna be wiped out. You're gonna be destroyed. And they repented. So God did not change. He just said, okay, you chose the right right answer, and so I'm going to not punish you as your sins deserve. Uh, Theologian Millard Erickson says, God is dependable. He will be the same tomorrow as he is today. He will act as promised. And I don't know about you, but I think that's really good news, that God doesn't change. We don't wake up one day and God's playing by a new set of rules. God plays by the same rules all the time. He is dependable. His character, his nature do not change. And that gives us incredible peace, incredible stability throughout the ups and downs of life. So God is merciful. And just one little side note on mercy. Um, God is merciful, but that doesn't give us a, a right to exploit his mercy, to think that we can get away with whatever we want just because God isn't gonna punish us for all that stuff. Like, God is merciful, but he's not a fool. We're the fool. If we think we can get away with stuff and say, well, God's merciful, he'll just forgive me. I don't think we wanna play that game, all right? So just, I feel like I had to say that. But the good news for us is that when we repent, we receive God's mercy. And the more we understand God's mercy to us, the more we can extend it to others. There's a story um, from the Civil War where Abraham Lincoln, the war was over, President Lincoln was up on the balcony of the White House and he had some Confederate leaders there and there was was an angry mob and he asked the mob, he said, what should we do with these Confederates? What should we do with them now that the war is over? And some of the people in in the mob shouted, we should hang them, we should hang them. And Abe Lincoln's little 11-year-old boy was next to him. He says, no, no, dad, we should hang on to them. And Abe Lincoln spoke up and he said, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna hang on to them. He had the power to execute them. He had the authority to do that, but he chose to show mercy. And we see this at times in, in life, right? We see human beings showing mercy, but we learn it from God. He's the one who originated it. And we don't do it perfectly, but God does. He is merciful. And the more we understand God's mercy to us, the more we're able to extend it to others. So, two more questions for discussion, then we're going to wrap this up. First one is this How would you define mercy in your own words? How would you define mercy if somebody just asked you? This is an easy one not getting what you deserve. deserve. So the second question is this. Is it harder for you to receive God's mercy or to show mercy to others, and why? Which one's easier? Which one's harder? Harder one is showing mercy to others. It's harder to show mercy to others, why? Because uh, you could be vengeful or you think that they're wrong. You want to get back up them or what they did was unforgiving. Yeah, so somebody might have wronged you and you have a vengeance to get back at them and it's kind of hard to not want to do that isn't it right give them what they deserve anybody else
0: I think they kind of go hand in hand like if we have a hard time believing that God shows us mercy or that he really has like really believing it then it's really hard for us to show others mm. but if we really believe like God paid the price and it's done, then it's a lot easier to
1: show. Yeah, she said they go hand in hand. That the more we understand God's mercy to us, the more we can extend it to other people. And I think that's absolutely true. And do you know who didn't show mercy very well? Jonah. Do you think he understood God's mercy? Probably not very well. Because he had a hard time extending it. I believe that's absolutely true what she said. And I've said it before, but I love the book of Jonah. This has been such a fun book to study because it reveals the heart of God. It reveals what he's like. And he is a pursuer of people. He didn't give up on Jonah. Jonah was the runaway prophet. He said, Jonah, I'm gonna give you another chance. He reached out to the people on the boat, the crew, They were a polytheistic group, and he saved them. And he said, I'm the one true God over all of the storms and the seas, and they worshiped him. And he's a pursuer of a a sinful city. And they repented. He reached out to them. And so I love this, and there's so many truths that we can pull away from the book of Jonah. And so maybe you're here today, and you feel like you just want to be on the sidelines that you don't really want to be in the mission. Maybe you don't really love people. Maybe you struggle with that. You say, God, those people aren't like me, uh, or they've wronged me, or they've hurt me. And we don't really have a heart to love people. Kind of like Jonah. We're like, whatever. I'm just going to go on a little cruise and figure out what happens to them later. Maybe we have struggled to have a heart for people. But I want to encourage you that Man, as we walk with God and as we live on mission, he's forming our heart, he's changing us. We're works in progress. That's good news. Or maybe today we need to be reminded that God is powerful. By the way, like there's, this book is full of miracles. You had the storm, you had the big fish, you had, you know there's all these things that happened, but the biggest miracle that happens in the book of Jonah is the repentance of the city. Right? And we're going to talk about that next week how many people were in the city and like how big it was. And just a huge miracle. God has the power to save people. And the work of the Holy Spirit is something that we cannot fabricate and that He does. And so maybe you need to hear that today. There's somebody in your life you're thinking, no, oh, they're too far gone. There's no way that they're ever going to know God. And we're just discouraged and just to be reminded of His power and the work of the Holy Spirit and what He can do. Look at the city of Nineveh. That's a miracle. And it's all because the mercy of God, the heart of God, to say, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to withhold my punishment from you. That's the God that we worship, that we love. He loves us. He's always wanted a relationship with you and me. And this morning we're gonna we're gonna end the service with communion. And communion is a symbolic thing that we do in remembrance of Jesus. God's one and only son that he sent down into this world for us. Ultimate act of mercy. He said, you're not going to get what your sins deserve. Jesus is going to take your sins for you. And so hopefully you got a little um, hourglass thing with the, you know, cracker and the juice in it. And that's symbolic of Jesus' broken body. He laid his life down. He was on the cross, beaten, tortured, whipped. His body broken so that we could live. And his blood spilled, which is symbolic of the juice. His blood spilled so that we could have forgiveness. And so we're gonna, I'm gonna pray. The band's gonna come and lead us in a song, but I just invite you to take that, those elements, and just thank God for his mercy today. Thank him for all that he's doing in you and what he's done for you. And just take those at your own pace And then when you're done, if you'd like to join in the song at the end, you can feel free to do that. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your mercy. Thank you that you love us. And it's so evident through the book of Jonah. Lord, we see that you are a missionary God. You are a pursuer of souls. You're a pursuer of people who need you. And God, you draw us to repentance. You draw us to a reminding that we need you. And Lord, repentance isn't just feeling bad. It's actually about a course correction. And you call us to repentance, not because you're a killjoy and you want us to just fall in line, but you know that when we repent, we live the best possible way. We live your way, God. The way that you've designed us to live, free, forgiven, no guilt, no shame. So Lord, this morning as we take communion, as we remember the sacrifice that you made for us, we know it cost you a great deal. We say thank you. And So Lord, whatever you're doing here today in our hearts, Holy Spirit, invite you to work work in us change us and help us to love you and recognize that you love us so very much in jesus name amen
0: josh left us with a few takeaways from this service the reluctant messenger jonah was god's mission while he was on god's mission God doesn't wait for us to arrive spiritually before sending us on mission. The Repentant City. Repentance is not just feeling bad about sin, it's about belief and behavior. The God of Mercy. The Ninevites repented, so God relented. It was humans who changed their course, not God. The good news for us is that when we repent, we receive God's mercy. The more we understand God's mercy, the more we can extend it to others. Discussion Questions What kind of things do we believe disqualify us from being God's messengers? How might God expose what's in our heart while living on mission? Do you think behavior modification brings lasting change? Why or why not? Can you think of a sinful behavior that is shaped by a wrong belief? How would you define mercy in your own words? Is it harder for you to receive God's mercy or to show mercy to others? Why? Thanks again for listening, Missio family and we'll see you again next week.